Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Frank, I'm the Mayfair Road campus pastor. I'm also one of your preaching pastors. I am thrilled that you made it today because congratulations, we have made it to the last sermon of this series in revealing a new city and we are wrapping up everything. After several months of being in the series, surveying the New Testament, we are in the last two chapters of Revelation. We're gonna talk about the new city that we've been hyping up this entire series with the covers and the graphics and all that stuff. So if you have your Bible, I wanna encourage you, it's gonna be really easy. Just go to the back of the book and you'll be there. Right, it's Revelation chapter 21 and 22. So if you have your Bible, go there. And while you're going there, I want you to think about this question that maybe some of you might be a little uncomfortable to answer uh, publicly or out loud. When you think about heaven, what comes to your mind? Because what comes to your mind, the answer to that question may reveal a lot about your upbringing. It may reveal a lot about the type of church you went to, the type of media you consumed, or it may reveal a lot about your imagination and how wild you can dream, right? My earliest memory of heaven was a commercial for the Philadelphia Cream Cheese Company, all right? Maybe you saw that commercial. It was this woman with a halo and wings, and she was floating on a cloud, and she was eating a bagel with cream cheese on it, and she was talking about how amazing heaven is because she can have all the bagels and cream cheese she wants. I'm not a big fan of bagels, so my, my vision of heaven was already marred at a young age because of this commercial. Then I heard and saw images of people floating on clouds, playing a harp, and apparently there's like lots of singing in heaven. And if you haven't noticed, I'm a little off key all the time. So I'll be honest, when I heard and saw these images, uh, heaven sounded boring, all right? It sounded crazy boring. Now imagine this crisis of faith as an eighth grader who's not yet a believer, but thinks heaven is boring, but also realizing that hell sounds way worse. Right, like I had to negotiate, would I rather be bored for all eternity or get my teeth gnashed in for all eternity? I don't know which one I gotta choose here. (laughs) Neither sounds like a favorable opportunity. So I'm sure that many of you have some presuppositions about heaven. Um, Some of you may have believed because of like cartoons and, and popular media that when you die, you become an angel. That when you go to heaven, you'll get wings, you'll get a halo. And, and, and I'm, I'm, this is the first lesson. That's not in the Bible. Like nowhere in scripture say you become an angel. Nowhere it's like grandma's getting wings. Like that's not a thing. There's no verse for that. I don't know where we got that. Angels are a separate created beings. We will not become angels. Also, some folks, when they talk about heaven, have like a Build-A-Bear theology. You know what I'm saying? Like you just make and pick and choose what you think heaven's gonna be like. Like I'm gonna rock climb all day or I'm gonna... I'm going to just like cook all the time because I love to cook and, and, and you let your imagination run wild, but that isn't biblical either. Just kind of doing whatever your imagination wills. What I want to do today is twofold. I want to just kind of paint a picture of what the new city is based on what scripture says and I want you to get excited about it. All right? Can I tell you what the new city is and just get hyped for Jesus' return? Let's do that. So because when you understand what you get to look forward to in the new city, it should change everything about how you see today. It should cause you to see this world with an open hand because you know the world to come is gonna be so much better. And also, it should create an urgency within you when you think about your loved ones, your neighbors, and your friends who don't know Jesus 
that it gets you excited to tell them about Jesus because you don't want to be in heaven without him. All right? So I, I want to tell you four things about heaven and why it's so much better than you could ever imagine. Here's the first thing. Heaven is a real place. Heaven is a real place. Read, read with me Revelation 21, 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So when we read this, our minds should immediately go to Genesis 1-1, where the first words of the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so for the first century reader, the people who are reading this, who, who the author wrote this to, when they think of heaven and earth, they literally think what's up there and what's down here, right? Earth is down here where we are. The big, the big ball that we stand on, that's earth. But when they think of heaven, they literally think anything above them. So birds fly in the heaven, rain comes from heaven. But the first century reader would also think heaven is the place where God is. It's a, it's a distant, uh, uh, ethereal place that is different and distant and distinct from earth. The sky where the birds are, that's where God is, that's in heaven, and we are here on earth. Those are two separate places. And so in Genesis 1, God created out of nothing the heavens and the earth, and here in Revelation 21, it says that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the, and the word for the word new in Greek can be one of two words. Now listen, this is something I want to make sure you understand. If I ever come up here and tell you a Greek word, I'm not here just trying to impress you, okay? I had to read a book to learn what the Greek word was. But I share this because when you know what a Greek word is and it helps change how we see our English Bibles, it's important to know, all right? So there are two Greek words for the word new. The first one is the word neos, which means brand new, like fresh white vans out of the box, no crease, no scuffs. That's neos, that's brand new, right? The other word is kainos, describing something that is qualitatively new or renewed. So think about those shows of like the extreme home makeovers, right? They get the family, they get them out of the house, they come in, they, they, they do all the work in the house, they bring the family in, and when they do the big reveal, what do they say? Welcome to your new home. Now this isn't a new home. They didn't like tear it down to the foundation and build a brand new home. What they did is they restructured, they reorganized with a different layout, different fixtures. Qualitatively, this house is absolutely better than what it used to be and it's absolutely a new house for this family. That is kainos. It's, it's being renewed. It's qualitatively new. This is what God will do to this earth when he talks about he's making the new heavens and new earth, God isn't gonna take this earth, this creation, throw it in the garbage and make a new one. He's not making something out of nothing like he did in Genesis 1. He is renewing, he is refining, he is renovating, he is redeeming his creation. This is what he did to us when he made you and me a new creation in Christ, right? I was a fundamentally different person pre-Jesus, but I am a new person now after I put my faith in him, even though I still look the same, I am not who I once was. So when we talk about the new heavens and the new earth, we don't have to speak so, so clunky about it. 
so confusing about it, right? Heaven, the place where God dwells, is no longer a faraway place in the sky because heaven in, in, in Revelation has come down to earth. It is one place where God dwells with his people forever and ever. So you can call it glory. You can call it the new earth. You can call it the new city. You can call it heaven, whatever you call it. It is the place where you will spend eternity with God forever, and it is a real physical place that will be here on earth when God makes it new. So heaven will be everything you love about this place, but without the effects of sin. Heaven is not you floating on a cloud, playing a harp, or eating cream cheese. So if you're lactose intolerant, you're good, okay? You know what I'm saying? It, it will be very much everything you love about this place, without the effects or the consequences of sin, all right? We're gonna flesh that out some more in a second. But my first point, heaven is a real place. My second point, heaven has real people. Heaven has real people. Revelation 21.3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God will be with them as their God. Heaven is a place where all of God's people will dwell with him for all of eternity. Let's get really deep. I want to talk about some numbers and some more difficult things in this passage, and I think you'll understand more about how heaven has real people. Let's start in verse 10. Follow along with me. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and at the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the son of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length and the, the same as its width. And it measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. Now, when you read this, I know, for example, I know there's for sure two types of people in this room after that paragraph. There's some of y'all who are like, there's too many numbers, I'm confused, I don't really care. Frank, just tell me what it means, right? There's some of you on this room like that right now. And there's some of you who are like, let me draw the blueprints. All right, let's get nerdy and get some math going on, right? And so I read a lot of books this week that talk about the logistics of all these measurements, right? 12,000 stadia is about 1,500 miles. And because it says it's, it's square, so therefore it, it's square footage to be a little bit over 2.2 million square feet. And then uh, because it has uh, walls, it's a big cube, it would go up 780,000 stories high. Someone did the math and said that the size of this new city would be slightly smaller than our current moon, which would be pretty big, right? I, I want to remind you of something that's very important to you and very important to me. Revelation is not about math. Praise God. 
I took one math class in Bible college, slid in with a C. C gets degrees, right? So uh, it's not about math. Revelation's not about math. Remember what I told you two weeks ago. Apocalyptic literature uses numbers and symbols to show us something. And Revelation, this is important, quotes or, or references the Old Testament more than any other book in the New Testament. So, what, so with that in mind, let's examine this again, and I want you to talk to me. Okay, say this out loud, for real. What is the number that keeps coming up here? 12. Good job. We all passed. All right. 12 keeps showing up a lot, all right? 12 gates, 12 angels, 12 tribes of the sons of Israel, 12 foundations, 12 apostles, 12,000 stadia, which is 12 times 1,000, and 144 cubits, which I remember my times table, and 12 times 12 is 144, right? So here's a Bible tip. When you see something repeated over and over and over again in a tight period of text, you have to say, why is this happening? Like, why is this coming up so much? What is God trying to tell me? So what's the deal with all the 12, all the 12s? The number 12 and its multiples point to us about the fullness of God's people. It's trying to tell us that everybody who follows the Lord is going to be here. So the 12 tribes of Israel represent all of God's people from the Old Covenant, from the Old Testament. And the 12 apostles represents all the saints and all the believers who are in the church age in the New Covenant. And so 12 represents the fullness of God's people and his church. John is not giving these measurements for you and I to make blueprints. He is saying that in this new city, he has space for everybody. He has space for all believers of all time. There is no such thing as overpopulation in heaven. There's no such thing as land shortage in the new city. From Abraham to you, to me, to every believer who comes after us, God has made space for everyone who follows the lamb wherever he goes. Now, did you catch the shape of the, of the, of the city? It's a cube. The original audience will be like, wait a minute. There's something significant about this space being a cube. Oh, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, God specifically told us to design the Holy of Holies where God dwells and meets with people in the shape of a cube. So there's something about this new city that's supposed to point us to the Holy of Holies. And then when they keep reading, they get to verse 22, their minds get blown. It says this, and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. So, so in this new city, in heaven, we don't need a temple because God is the temple. And the entire new city is the holy of holies, right? In the past, only the high priest, one man, once a year, was allowed to go into the holy of holies to make atonement for us. And now we're reading that in heaven, you and I can walk freely in the new holy of holies, in the new city, in the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because we don't need a place to go meet God. We don't need a special person to go for us. You and I are free to meet with God in the new holy of holies, which is the new city. And that's amazing. There's a, there's a pastor I heard this week when talking about the kinds of people you're going to see in heaven. He said, you're going to be surprised by three things. He said, you're going to be surprised of those who are there that you thought wouldn't make it. You're going to be surprised by those who are not there that you thought would make it. And most importantly, you're probably going to be surprised that you're even there. <laughs> you're like, whoa, this is way better than I thought it was going to be like. Why am I here, right? Revelation 21, seven through eight talks a little bit more about the types of people in heaven. 
He said, the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is a second death. Let's go to verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So the question when I read that is, how do I become clean? How do I become one of who conquers, as verse seven says? The answer has been and always has been and always will be faith. Faith in the only God that can save It's always been faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only name under heaven who can save humanity is faith in Jesus Christ. The the one who follows the lamb wherever he goes gets their name written in the lamb's book of life. The blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can cleanse us and wash us clean from our sins. When God sees us, we are made new before him. But when you read that list, right? the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. Sounds like a lot of people are not gonna make it into heaven. But when I read that list, there's people I know who remind me of this list. I think of Abraham, Moses, Rahab, King David, Solomon, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, all of them could be marked by that list. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, how come they're not burning in the lake of fire, but they're spending eternity with God? It's because all those people have turned in faith to God. Though they were once labeled as that, though they could say, I was once those people, I am no longer that person because I put my faith in God and God doesn't label me like that anymore. I am a new creation. I'm not who I once was. I am different. Therefore, I am not spending eternity in the lake of fire. I'm spending eternity in the new city. And so when you see this list, you may see yourself in this list. And I want to encourage you, you can be in the Lamb's book of life when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you have friends and family who right now, you read that list and you think they're not going to be with me in heaven. And as Pastor Anthony said last week, as long as there's air in their lungs as long as there's blood pumping in their veins, the story is not over. Maybe today God is calling you, God is challenging you to show you how amazing heaven is and why you don't want them to be in heaven without you. And so may this message be a message to encourage you to pick up that phone, to call your loved ones, to to talk to your kids, to, to talk to your neighbors and tell them about how amazing Jesus Christ is because heaven is too good to be there without them. Heaven will be a reunion. Heaven will be a reunion with those who you love and lost due to death on this side of eternity. Heaven will be a reunion with those who you couldn't imagine being saved by Jesus and their mere presence in the new city reveals that God has been and always will be doing miracles. And heaven, most importantly, is a reunion with God and you that never ends as you sit in the presence of his forever and ever. So heaven's a real place. Heaven has real people. And my third point is heaven will be unfamiliar. Heaven will be unfamiliar. Uh, I say it will be unfamiliar because we can't understand a world without the effects of sin. Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And so 
This is a world with no chronic pain and no illness. You don't walk with a limp in heaven. There's no need for Tylenol or ibuprofen. You won't need insulin, EpiPens, or CPAP machines. No more chemo, no more CAT scans. This is a world with no depression, no anxiety, no stress, no burnout. Your fight and flight mode will never be activated again. No misunderstandings, no miscommunication, no pettiness, no gossip, no fear of being misrepresented, no one to backstab you ever again. In this world, there are no ICUs, no emergency rooms, and no pharmacies because you don't need them anymore. There will be no need for therapists or counselors. Your mind won't betray you and you will never need a safe space to vent or process your trauma. And Revelation 21, 25 says, and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. The gates of heaven never have to be locked. When I was in Bible college, I had a friend who lived in this really, really nice suburban community with, was gated and they, it was one of those really, really nice ones that had a security guard that like talked to you when you walked in, right? And I got to the house and as I was walking to the door, I forgot to lock my door. So I turned around to go back to my car and my friend walked down. He said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I, I forgot to lock my car. I'm gonna go lock my car. He said, Frank, you don't have to do that here. It's a gated community. We have a security guard. This is the safest place in town. You can leave your car unlocked. And I said, I don't trust you. And I went and I locked my car. Because that's how I grew up. You lock the doors if you're not near it. This is the way I, I, I learned stuff. Heaven never has to lock its doors. No one is coming to rob or steal anything. Your cars won't be broken into. Your catalytic converters are safe. There will be no police departments, no firefighters, no paramedics in heaven. There are no child protective services or security systems. There won't be a need for any of those things. Listen to me. In heaven, there will be no shootings, no bullets through windows, and never again will you ask, is that fireworks or is that something else, right? There will be no caskets, no funeral homes, and no graveyards. You will never, ever hear a eulogy again because in the new heavens and new earth, there is no death. No one dies. We don't understand a world without the, the presence of sin corrupting everything. But here's the thing. Jesus was already doing this from the beginning. At the cross, Jesus saves you from the penalty of sin. In other words, what you deserve because of your sin, Jesus takes it on your behalf, so therefore you're free from the penalty of sin. Then as we grow in our faith in Jesus, as we read our Bibles, go to church, serve, give, all that kind of stuff, as we grow in our faith with Jesus, we are saved from the power of sin in our lives. Its influence, its effectiveness gets weaker as we grow in our faith in Jesus. And as, when we get to heaven, we are saved from the presence of sin. Now, we don't even deal with the consequences of sin around us because this is a new place. When you think about the suffering that you went through in your lives, you might have thought that, that when you get to heaven, you have like a list of questions you wanna ask him. Like, God, okay, cool, glad to be here. Why did you let this happen? And, and I, I wanna say this as gently as I can. I don't know if that's actually gonna happen. It might, but I doubt it, and here's why. The common theme in the New Testament is that suffering is never wasted. It produces, the Bible says, character. It produces patience. It produces perseverance. But even if none of that happens, at minimum, it will draw you closer to God as you depend on him more. 
So it stands to reason that when you get to heaven, you won't have a list of questions about why you went through what you went through because you'll have a better perspective of how all of that has changed you and shaped you and molded you on this side of eternity. There's a woman named Joni Erickson Tata who was a quadriplegic. She broke her, her neck in a diving accident when she was 17 years old. And she is a prolific author and she also has her own radio show. And I want to read this quote to you that she said on her radio show. She said, I hope I can take my wheelchair to heaven with me. I know that's not biblically correct, but if I were able, I would have my wheelchair up in heaven right next to me when God gives me my brand new glorified body. And I will then turn to Jesus and say, Lord, do you see that wheelchair right there? Well, you were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that wheelchair was a lot of trouble. But Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I, learned, I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. So thank you for what you did in my life through that wheelchair. And now you can send that wheelchair to hell if you want. <laughs> because we don't understand a world where sin is not present. Heaven is going to feel really unfamiliar. But good news, we have all eternity to get used to it, Right? Heaven's a real place, heaven has real people, heaven will be unfamiliar, and heaven will not be boring. I can't wait to talk about this. Heaven will not be boring. Revelation 22, three. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. What do servants do? They serve. So we won't be bored in heaven twirling our thumbs, wondering what we're gonna do for the next infinity years, right? We will be working in heaven. Work was a, an original part of God's creation. Go read Genesis. Before the fall came, Adam and Eve had jobs to do. The difference is, is that when we get to glory, we won't be working with struggle or toil. God will give us a fulfilling work that we will love and enjoy. I think we have a, a, a problem today with our view of work. It, we somehow have believed this lie that our work must be a place where we are completely fulfilled with purpose. We should always be completely satisfied and happy. And if we don't like anything about our work, turn in your resignation, you'll go get another job. But friends, you'll never find that dream job. You'll never find that dream job on this side of eternity. Listen, I'm gonna get personal here. I love my job, right? My boss is over there, he's looking, he's listening. It's cool. I love my job. I get to meet with people and help them grow closer with Jesus. It's a privilege that I get to enter into people's lives and talk about the Bible with them. And also I get paid to read this Bible, read books about this Bible, put it on my iPad and talk to you for 30 minutes. It's one of the greatest joys and loves and passions of my life. But there are parts of my job I don't like. And that's real, right? I don't like dealing with receipts. I get why we have them. I don't want to touch them. I hate receipts. I don't want to deal with it. The, the administrative side of my job gives me no fulfillment, all right? And, and, and listen, there are for sure some meetings that we have that for sure could have been an email, right? Like this whole 20-minute like show and dance could have been a paragraph in an email. It could have been, but we're meeting here, right? There's parts of my job I love, but there's definitely parts I don't like. But the longing to feel fulfilled where you are making a difference and you have high satisfaction in that job, does exist, but it's not on this side of glory. It's in heaven. 
Your dream job doesn't exist here. There's going to be toil. There's going to be hard work. And it's, a, it's, it's the reality of living in a world with the effects of sin. But in heaven, you will never struggle or toil or be frustrated with your work again because your work will be fulfilling because all of our work will be in service to God himself. There's one more way heaven won't be boring. I'm really excited about this. Revelation 21, 26. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. The they is us, the people of God. And we will be bringing into heaven the glory and the honor of the nation. So that means that the best of our country, the best of our culture, and this is what nations mean. The word nations means this. The best of our ethnicity will be in heaven. So here's what I think that means. We're gonna be eating really good in heaven, all right? The best roast pork from Cuba, the best kimchi from South Korea, the best arepas from Colombia, the best Wiener schnitzel from Germany, the most delicious tacos from Mexico, whatever is the best cheese curds and brats this great state can offer will be in heaven. I was told that it would be a big, big table with lots and lots of food, and I'm already hungry, and I don't have to check my blood sugar when I get there, you know what I'm saying? We will have the best of every culture, the best architecture, the best movies, the best music, friends. We will have the best Disney world. The best Disney world's in heaven. In heaven, I can be a Disney adult with no judgment from all. Look at my picture with Mickey. It's on there, right? You got my picture with Mickey? Oh, I love Disney and I have no shame about it. And it's Sorcerer Mickey, so some of y'all are really uncomfortable too. I love Disney world. There will be no lines and no expensive tickets and no humidity and Lord willing, no, it's a small world because that ride is for sure demonic. <laughs> the glorified Disney world is gonna be the best of Disney world without any of the effects of sin. But listen, what is beautiful about Revelation 21 verse 26 is that it reminds us that when we get our glorified bodies, our ethnicity and our culture will not be washed away. I am a six foot three brown Cuban man on the old earth and I'll be a six foot three brown Cuban man in the new earth. When God made you black or white or Armenian or Italian or Pakistani or Korean or whatever ethnicity you are, God created you, listen to me, beautifully, wonderfully, and intentionally exactly the way you are. Your ethnicity was never a mistake and neither was it a product of the fall. God's desire in the new city is for you and every other ethnicity from every nation and culture to be celebrated and honored, free from racism, prejudice, and hate. Heaven will not be colorblind. Heaven will be a celebration of every tribe, tongue, and nation in their own dialect, in their own accent, with a deep breath proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. Heaven's a real place. Heaven has real people. Heaven will be unfamiliar. And heaven will not be boring. We're boring. Heaven's not boring. All right? Heaven is better than you could ever imagine because Jesus is better than you could ever imagine. Ephesians 2, 6 through 7. God raised us up with him and seed us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So God is going to lavish us with his incredible love and kindness for you and he won't stop until he runs out and the Bible says it's gonna take him eternity for him to run out. So in other words, heaven's gonna blow our mind forever. And it's amazing. 
We started this series in the book of Acts when Jesus commissioned his disciples to do the work of proclaiming the gospel and starting new churches. We went through the epistles and we followed this small uh, Jesus movement, grow, get challenged, but continue to grow. We get to Revelation and we saw that the church was suffering and it needed hope. And in John's revelation, in John's vision, he provides hope that Jesus is going to be victorious over sin and death. And he shows us even more hope in the new city to come. But this story is even bigger than the New Testament. It's even bigger than the New Testament. Genesis, the first book of the Bible in chapter 2, talks about a tree of life in the middle of the garden. And, and, And in the middle of the garden, flowing was a river throughout that garden. This place was perfect. But that place was ruined and corrupted by sin. In Revelation 22, in the new city, there is another river that flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And it says it flows into the middle of the city. And in the middle of that city is another tree. And the Bible calls that the tree of life. The difference between the tree and river in Genesis compared to the tree and river that we see in Revelation is that the tree and the river in the new city is incorruptible. It's not going to be affected by sin. This tree and this river and the new city is for you and for me to be with God forever. And no one and nothing can take it from us because Satan and sin has been defeated. There will be no talking snakes in the new heavens and the new earth. It will remain perfect forever. So for now... Right now, you and I are living between the trees. But when Jesus comes back, we will get to be in that new city. And I look forward to that. As I close, I want to just read this verse to be my prayer for all of us. As we look forward, as we look ahead for Jesus' return, I want to read to you the last two verses of the entire Bible. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen and amen.